0: Trash, wastelands, and here are your hosts, long-time partners in slime, Adam Obscene and Marco Mark. Hello, world. This is Wastelands. I'm Adam Obscene, and with me, as always, is the mighty, mighty Marco
1: Mark. Adam Obscene. Hey, so good to be with you. So great to be here with you tonight, two listeners.
0: Mate, I might be a little bit more on the lower end of the scale in my Ooh. octaves. It's a, the bass notes, maybe just that little bit more saucy because I've got the still got the yeah. loogie. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Yep. You're for, Adam's still unwell, everyone. All for our listeners' pleasure. Because I ultimately think that when I'm like this, the wine goes out of my voice. Isn't it funny when I said wine, it was actually really quite whiny. Uh, Losners, oh, this God. is our hundredth episode. Welcome to the hundredth episode. Welcome to the finale of season three. That means we've been doing so this good. bugger for three years.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Isn't, congratulations, Ad. Congratulations, Marco. It's a bit weird that um the conclusion of our third year anniversary coincides with 100 episodes. I think that's pretty fucking amazing.
1: Yeah, it's great. Couldn't have planned that any better ourselves, eh? No, not at all. Uh, Consistency (laughs) is key. Look, Marco, Hmm. we
0: kicked off back in 2019 a little series which was our formative films where we sort of went through and talked about – I guess like the top five films that left an impression on us that would actually make us who we are today. Yeah. Um, and, we, and, and I guess that theme has meandered in and out of what we've spoken about in the last three years. Most yeah. films, you would say, have popped up because they mean something to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes not, but mainly, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking it's like the cult ones, like, you know, you know Texas Chainsaw no. Massacre or, or, sure. or The Hills Have Eyes or Monster sure. Dog or Hell Comes to Frogtown or The yeah. list. You know, the list goes on we've done a, we have done a lot of movies uh yes. for a punk rock uh podcast uh, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> funny that um so you came up with this idea about uh, we had some ideas about what we wanted to do for the 100th episode and then you mm-hmm. shot me an email or a text last week saying, uh, unorthodox comfort movies. Fil- yep. Films yep. that you that you sort of turn to that aren't you know, Milo and Otis. You know, it's, it, it's yeah. for, for freaks like yeah. us, the film that f- puts us in our happy place and actually yep. lulls us into yep. that sense of comfort. Um, I really liked it. I hadn't even thought of that, but there – but i think that in some ways Wastelands is the unorthodox um comfort movie show um yeah so we thought we uh, sure. so we thought we'd like touch on two of our sort of unorthodox
1: comfort yeah. films yeah yeah for sure and i think adam the cuz we've ch- we've chosen a movie each to talk about and i think that these movies were they f- i felt like we were we were probably going to do these anyway um i think we were (laughs) uh, yeah i think we were going to do the movies that we chose and then i sort of started thinking why and and something i had seen in a in an interview on youtube with another great um horror horror fanatic uh channel uh an interviewee said you know i know it's it's unorthodox but it's one of my comfort movies and i was like that's incredible this is uh because she kind of articulated how we just sort of generally feel about it. And I sort of flicked that idea to you as, as you mentioned. And, uh, so we were set the task of finding out each, our, our unorthodox comfort movies, you know, like they're not what you'd expect, but for us, they probably with other movies too, like they they're a comfort movie. And, um, They probably are exactly the same ones that we were going to do anyway. They are exactly
0: the same ones that we were going to do Mm. because it just really put a descriptor over the reason why we're doing it. So it it links back to our Formity 5 and everything that I was talking about before. Just a short little uh, note of caution. If you're expecting this to be our normal shorter style episode, um, Mm. yeah, hang on because – because it's our 100th episode, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive in this one. So, um, yep. So, if you can stick with us, that would be amazing because I think there's going to be a lot of gold in here. Now, Marco, yep. before we launch hmm. straight, this is probably the longest uh, intro we've done to a show in a, since episode one. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> True. So, let's not break formula. Okay. I've got the trailer queued up here of your... Um, your point oh great uh, let's uh, I will do the thing I normally do and play it and then I'll brutally scrub through it to the bits that I think so it'll be quite random uh, and um, we'll come back on the other side of this
1: sounds great brutal scrub me away this is the story of two young American students traveling through England on a night of the full moon did
2: you hear that I heard that What was it? Could be a lot of things. Wasn't a lunatic. What?
1: A wolf. Oh, be serious, would you? And now everything is changing. Changing.
2: Changing. Good Lord. John Landis, the brilliant young director
0: of Animal House and The Blues Brothers, has turned a classic tale of terror into something
1: new. Classic Taylor Tedder, into something new, yeah, and he sure did. An American Werewolf in London, Adam, from nineteen eighty-one, mate. What a what a
0: cracker of a pick,
1: um, I, oh, mate. It stands did, up still. When did you when did you first um, okay? Did you first first see this one? I, it wasn't nineteen eighty-one. I think it was about nineteen eighty-four. Yeah, so showing my age a bit there. I was uh, you know, ten years old, but you know, you know, you guys out there can do the math. And um He's old. And, and we had here's the thing. My brother and I were with our mum down in Brisbane, because we lived about a hundred kilometers north. We had that day gone to what I thought was kind of fitting into this, a uh A kind of like national park area just outside of brisbane queensland called jc slaughter falls so we we had gone you know we were high energy kids so are my cousins so i guess you know the parents just let them go and roam as far as they can here in the the big park area and it fucking their plan came down quickly because it started snowing or snowing uh, no not snowing sleeting you know when it rains slush puppy yeah un, un, um, dyed, unflavored slush puppy you know what
0: i, you know what I mean yeah it's uh it's 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 horrible and it goes straight to the boon
1: <laughs> it does it does so any plans of uh wiping us out with a day out just running in every single direction around out in nature got thwarted by my aunt and mum and we were quickly sort of huddled into the car and taken to a a a shopping center to stock up on warm clothes get dried off and then while we were there i guess they decided what the fuck are we going to do with these maniac boys now we've got four of them what are we going to do with them all right straight to the video shop so they let us go and choose some movies and a couple of my cousins being a bit older you know um a bit more living in the city, knew about an American werewolf in London. I'd never heard of it, neither of my brother who's younger than me. So we ended up coming home with this movie as well as probably a couple of others that I can't remember anymore because they had less of an impact, if any yeah. impact. Um, this made an impact that lasts still to now tonight in 20 middle of 2022 i i chose it as my comfort movie so we sat down and watched it and as you could just imagine guys like we're all you know the like the little kids in that that era of stranger things that's so popular now with you know aren't putting in the vhs tape into the huge big original vhs tape machines the silver ones and um this movie coming on and man oh man like we all my, my brother and the cousin who is both the same age probably about three years younger they found it to be hilarious a hoot and a holler and my cousin and i who are older like we we were just pile, piling pillows on top of us to stop any any light getting in we were terrified you know that's hilarious yeah we'd come back out see another scene that freaked us out and then go and hide under a stack of pillows again but jim and uh my cousin were probably just at that age where they just thought anything was funny you know just to get just to shit just to um give give the parents the shits or the older brothers the shits and it it impacted me to the point where i yeah i I never forgot it there were some things in it that i that even when I – because I've watched it so many times. I've watched it in my teens, watched it in my 20s, watched it in my 30s. Now I'm watching it in my late 70s. And uh, <laughs> and so, okay, okay, all right, my mid-80s. I'm, I'm listening to it, watching it again in my mid-80s now. And, uh, <laughs> and, and those parts – are still like when I know they're coming up, I'm like, oh shit, here comes the transformation part. Mm. But now that little twinge of scariness is, is like, (laughs) it's nostalgia. It's that hardened diamond that's become nostalgia, you know? And, um, I could watch it and now like see, see the comedy in it because it really is a horror comedy and there's some really familiar faces in it. And it really, now it's a comfort movie because I love comedy. I love the actors. Some of the actors that were nobodies in this movie. I'm thinking of Rick Mayle as one, uh, and I love the horror genre. And John Landis made an um, incredible movie. So it's for so many reasons it stood the test of time and become my unorthodox comfort movie. You know, like you said, it's not um, Babes in the Woods or uh, Milo and Otis or uh, you know, Watership Down. It's it's this. It's um definitely it's and it, I I love
0: it too and I and it's it's interesting because my origin story on is very similar to yours um oh well wow. I never realised this this is the first time we've shared the how we first watched it um. I was at my grandparents' place and my cousins were living with my grandparents at that time and it Mm. was raining outside and they said, what are we going to do with these kids? I know, let's go to the video shop. And we went to the video shop and the cousins who were a little bit older than us knew about uh, American Werewolf in London and they grabbed that and they brought it and they took it down and we sat in the lounge room, which all the TV room that my grand and granddad Uh had and we watched it and it scared the absolute bejesus out of me.
1: Yeah, um, too young to watch it,
0: you know. Um, but you still watch it, and it was probably around that two, that that nineteen eighty four time. Eighty four, yeah, yeah. Um, and what stuck with me was that I had seen a little bit of Hammer horror, mm. you know, thanks to cousins and stuff like that, and it really felt like a, a more modern like it felt like a hammer horror in the modern day because it had all the English pubs and the dark you know and, and even that scene at the start where when just as the uh the fella gets um attacked by the werewolf and it's all mm. jumpy and then all the old villagers pop up out of nowhere with their shotguns and they're all dressed in their hunting gear looks yeah. like a hammer film right yeah, it's got and this, the accents. Yeah, and it's so it really it felt familiar, but then it went to the next level where like this is an Academy Award-winning film in special yeah. effects. Like the special yeah. effects in this movie now look a little bit funny, but back then was like the transformation scenes, like you were talking about, and you know those scenes that when um he he's transforming, and it's just amazing. Mm.
1: But yeah, yeah, for sure, that's the pinnacle. Like that changed it for me, like that part of it is that part of it is terrifying the first mm-hmm. couple of times that you watched it. Yeah. And um, I know, you know, you know it's, this film is so beloved. It's there's so much information out there yeah. um about up, it. Up,
0: up, jo- up until this point too, Marco, werewolf films were kind of like the the poor man's brother to the staple of Frankenstein and Dracula because the transformations yeah. were never actually very good. Yeah, in the oh, classic, in the no. classic sort of like, um, yeah, Wolfman, um, for yeah, Lon yeah, Chaney. and yeah, and then, and even in The Hammer, The Curse of the Werewolf, with, uh, you know, they, they sort of, they still did that morphing two screen mm. type of thing, but this went into full tilt animatronics, like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. amazing. So, yeah, yeah it was really, so, really cool. So much you can talk about. And I just saw you oh. waving your legal pad around. So,
1: hit me yeah. with it, brother. <laughs> well, you know, there's another um, movie, the, the 1935 Werewolf of London, um, which was directed by Stuart Walker and starred Henry Hull as the Wolfman in that. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's 1935. And that would have scared the bejeebus out of people then. But no way would they have had Rick Baker's, um, uh, you know, practical effects there, you know. that were, What was scary for that era was that funny sort of transition between normal man and then yeah, man laying, made up. Laying some, over the
0: shot over the top of it and it flashing in and out and in and out and something. Yeah. And then they'd yeah. fall off camera.
1: And, yeah. And then they jump uh, up yeah. and in a wolf. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> and and they
1: come up looking like um, – Channel 7's Aggro, yeah, you um, know Michael J. Fox. If, if you, yeah, sorry, that's a, that's an in joke for um Southeast Queensland people. Um, Aggro was a hairy monster puppet. He was actually he was actually a bastardized animal from the Muppets
0: puppet toy puppet. Oh,
1: really? Yeah. yeah okay. So there
0: was a toy puppet that came out in the eighties, which was animal, and the guy Jamie Dunn, who took him and did it on this TV show called Wombat, actually brutalized this. <laughs> This this uh this animal puppet to create aggro. Uh nice total sideline there, but uh for our international viewers type in aggro. That's A R G. No, what is it? A-R-G. A-
1: A-G-R-O? Uh, A-G-R-O. A-G-R-O, A-G-R-O. Aggro. Um the puppet. Agro, agro puppet, yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, the Lawn Chaney's uh werewolf it always came up looking looking like uh not hand puppet. But um yeah, Rick Baker and John Landis. Next you level. Know. Oh, next level. Kind of like the same way The Walking Dead did yeah. next level, you know. And it really relaunched but, werewolf films
0: too, you know, because like the howling and, you know, like movies sort yes. of come after that sort of took that transformation, well, practical <clears throat> effects to the next level, right?
1: Well, um, uh, Baker had been wor- had left John Landis – because it was getting Landis so so, so long to get um, the movie into production, uh, Baker left and he went and started working on The Howling. Oh. And Landis lured him back uh, to continue with American Werewolf in London and left The Howling's um, uh, uh, practical effects up to his um his right hand man there, and still acted as a consultant. So there, he was doing on two werewolf movies at once. Yeah, because they were sort but, of yeah.
0: pinnacle, weren't they? That's cool. Yeah.
1: Man. Wow. Yeah. So he, um, and you're right, Ed. This this movie won an Academy Award for uh, the makeup and prosthetics, which was uh, had been created and added to the Oscars only the year before. Yeah,
0: first, one of the first awards, wasn't it, to win that? One of the first awards yeah, to win that award. Yeah,
1: it w- I, th- I think it was the worst. The first one. The worst. To, <laughs> worst. The first one to win that award. <clears throat> I might be wrong, and I'm sure someone will correct me for that. we will just ignore um, them,
0: because they don't get a voice unless I say so. Uh, um,
1: ah. Yeah, oh, yeah, the, the, the transformation scene, speaking of the practical effect, ads, the, the transformation scene took a week to shoot. And they got down it and, and they got down uh thirty minutes um thirty minutes of footage for a week's work and it was ten hours to put the makeup on and fifteen minutes of shooting and three hours to take the makeup back off again. Wow. And they ended up with thirty minutes worth of um worth of footage that they used for that transformation scene. Well you think of that's,
0: that, a 97, that's a ninety seven that's a ninety seven minute movie so that's a that's an epic investment isn't it like in mm-hmm. to get that sort and am sure they didn't use all the 30 minutes of footage because it's quite selective sure. but that's a sure that's that goes to show how important the practical effects were to achieve the success of this movie right
1: yeah absolutely and i think they would go i don't know if it was um just because this these effects were uh becoming used more and more in the industry overall or whether this movie were, uh, was the, the, the icebreaker that, that introduced these um, practical techniques, but they similar things were turning up in um, The Thing, mm-hmm. you know, the um, John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that was so heavy on the special effects oh, when you it? look back the on beast-y, that.
0: The beastie thing in that just was next level with its, like, Head coming over it, its a hole and stuff like that. That's just like brutal.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, oh, and fully taken to the next level in um the later Alien movies. You know, That goes a bit sort of like so far out of comparison by that time. But in those earlier, earlier eighties um, uh, John Carpenter movies, I see a direct correlation with the the, the special effects yeah, from Werewolf. And um and so so like the thing stuff yeah, like that definitely. you know, and funny because the
0: thing had like a a connection. You mentioned um the the, yeah the werewolf in London, American werewolf in London came from werewolf in London. Well, the thing was basically Carpenter's take from the um the drive in, the thing from outer space. So yeah, you know, yeah, they had their heritage in like nineteen thirties, forties, fifties, like um classic B yeah. films. So it was almost yeah, like sure. the eighties was that real classic era where classic themes were getting a good dosage of modern eighties um practical effects to bring it to, to the contemporary age. So yeah. you can see a yeah. few movies around that time which got done like that, which um I guess in a way sort of feeds into that reason why it's a bit of a comfort movie, right? Because it's got a nostalgia about it because it feels Mm -hmm. like something very familiar, but then it's got something new that makes you like hide under a cushion. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was so new for the time and it's, it doesn't feel new anymore, but it, 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 like I said, it's just nothing but, you know, it's a good time movie with some scares, some very well done practical scares and the, and and um nostalgia, for sure it's uh yeah it's um I like that probably it feels like what they were doing at them, and I'm just riffing here, but it's just just a just an opinion, you know um it, it was something new at the time, that level of special effects and reimagining horror in a place like england that that had Pinewood Studios that was doing all, all of the hammer horror movies. Um, to, to to do it in such a new way, I think, really speaks to what was happening at that time in England. Anyway, you know, you'd by 1981, the Sex Pistols had come and gone, and by 81, that that 77 punk rock scene was. Um, morphing into sort of like the more, the more mohawk colorful UK UK
0: 82 was just around the corner with the exploited and you know, all the really sort of next level, sort of hardcore Mohican punk bands that were sort of oil inspired, a bit more street punk, yeah. So it was all disenfranchised in there.
1: Yep, there was people, there was, there were people out there, um, taking chances in old, uh, Old institutions, you know, people starting to take chances in music more. People were starting to take chances in art more, and London was the epicenter of it. And uh, things like with the movies as well. They had, you know, in that decade, from sixty nine through to eighty one, it was Hammer horror. uh, A lot of the British style Hammer horror movies got transported over to America, where they did kind of. Sorry, sorry, but I thought were like sort of second rate versions of the originals, um, and and, um, comedy. Even in comedy, there was a revolution in comedy as as you see in this as well. So you had Monty Python were just on their, you know, on their out, and um, um, British comedy was starting to come. Uh, from the university circuit, you know. Uh, so we we see in American Wealth in London one of those guys. We see we see Rick Mail from the young ones, Drop Dead Fred, um, all the other stuff that he Bottom. did after that. Bottom, um, Guesthouse Paradiso. Uh, he became a a, a household name. In my household, anyway, and probably yours too, absolutely. But um, one of my favourites, uh, yeah, for sure. But on a night off, in, when they were shooting um, American Wolf in London, uh, the the guys from uh, the Muppets were there, uh, Frank Oz and Jim Henson. Henson, Jim Henson. Yep, thank you. And they took John Landis out to a local comedy cu- club where they saw Adrian Edmondson and Rick Mayle do their pre young ones stand up you know so it was like that sort of punk rock uh ex-, ex um explorative comedy that that alternative comedy that really came through at that time you you've got at that time you had uh Stephen Fry um Hugh Laurie Rowan Atkinson Nigel Planer Sorry, Ben Elton. Ben Elton. All these guys were just coming straight out of university and university talent shows and theatre productions, mm-hmm. and having their own punk rock spin on um, on comedy. So you can also see that in there too. So game changing and raising the stakes and and leaving uh, the these sort of institutions a little bit in the past because you can do something fresher and better. That's all in this movie, I think. Absolutely. And that was what was the vibe of, of the time. I wanna
0: play, just for a quick interlude, one of my favorite lines from American okay. Wolf in London. You ready for it? Yeah. A
2: naked American man stole my balloon.
0: <laughs> that was a common uh, that was a common line in our household. A naked American man stole my balloon. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's great. That's great. Oh, another one. I sh- another one was um st- stick to the roads, lads, and stay off the moors. That yes, was another good that's one another as well. One. It's a, can I bottle your tractor? Um Yeah <laughs> Um What's that what's that star for?
0: It's um I think the uh a couple of standout scenes in this movie. Uh the Nazi werewolves in the nightmare scene where yeah, they, yeah, with the machine yeah. guns. Yeah, that that one that scene has stuck with me through thick and mm-hmm. thin. Like it still mm-hmm. gives me the heebie-jeebies. Um, yeah. And you can see the impact of that, like um, in the Grindhouse trailers for um, Tarantino and Rodriguez's double feature. Mm. Rob Zombie did mm. the um, did the I think the werewolf trailer in that, and he's got Nazi werewolves in it, and it's just a direct yeah. throwback to that. You know, yeah, I think that's the yeah. one that's got Christopher. Uh, is it Nicolas Cage playing Full Manchu? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, I think the... uh it's the kids watching the Muppets, aren't they? Are they watching yeah, the Muppets? Yeah, the a Nazi, Jewish family. Yeah, and then the Nazi werewolves come in shooting
1: everything up, which is that connection yep. to Jim Henson, right, and Frank Oz. Yeah, 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 that's right. So, the, yeah, there's... Um, and Frank Oz was the American embassy representative that came to... um. David Kessler's bedside oh. when he was uh, recuperating in hospital, uh, the guy, the nasally guy with the glasses who who called all young people ungrateful, that that was Frank Oz, ah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a really close tie in with. The the Muppets guys and and uh, and John Landis with this yeah and think the they point would, of and cameos. they would have been
0: they would have been filming I don't know which one of the Star Wars movies maybe Empire Strikes Back that they were doing at Pinewood <laughs> Studios at that time no, yeah not, I'm lot, not sure because you know a lot of actors. Classic actors from the Star Wars films were all British as well. You know, like Peter Cushing and and, and, yeah, and Dave yeah. Prowse, who was inside the Darth Vader suit, was like the big. He was also in Cockroach Orange. the the big muscle man in the house that uh, that. Oh yeah, uh, you know, so All sidelines, but there's definitely lots of connections with it. To, there's so much deep dive that over the years you can actually start to really yeah. pick lots of bits and pieces out of it. So yeah,
1: so true, so true. So you you sort of work it out. Oh, that's why that person was there, and or oh, why, that's why the that happened. In
0: it, or yeah, you know, oh, Rick Mail. You sort of see all these bits and pieces through there, and you go, oh, there's a bigger, yeah. there's a bigger network of just the, just a film, which is just what happens in culture, right? Yeah, you know?
1: yeah, for sure, and and taking advantage of uh, some of the the new things that you discover while you're working on a creative endeavor in a in a foreign. Capital city, you know, you're bound to come across some cool new stuff. That's awesome. Hey, um, yeah, this one body count, body count. So I did a little bit.
0: I did a little bit of research because I knew you'd probably forget.
1: I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So
0: the body count for American Werewolf in London is 26 kills in 97 minutes. So that is a point two six eight. KPM kills per minutes, which basically <laughs> gives you one kill every three point
1: seven minutes. Decent. That's, that's very that's decent.
0: Be like up there with one of our highest kill counts, mate.
1: Yeah, it must be. Even though there was, it was a concentrated amount of killing in a short amount of time. Yeah. So that's this. So this is body count part one. Body count. Body count. Oh,
0: look at hundred. In the hundredth episode, I was tight. Tight. tight.
1: Eight. That was so tight. I mean, speaking of body counts, Adam, how insane was the Piccadilly massacre mm, mm. out on the street where oh. cars are crashing and oh. heads are getting bitten off and oh. that werewolf's just stalking like, oh, oh. my God. It's, That's insane.
0: And it's like that thing. It takes it from being in the Moors, which is a traditional uh, uh, sort of like hammer, old-school horror esque sight. Sure. So, you know, oh, the man. wolf on the yeah. moors stay to stick to the trucks and the roads, And then just whacking it in the middle of the city in broad yeah. daylight. Just yeah. carnage. That was that was rad. That was rad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't too it didn't seem to be uh portrayed as being too perturbed by the carnage around it in the in the city either. No, it was just like oh, it man. was just bloodthirsty. And yeah, and the hunting so, to, so I guess Adam, to at that time, that's revolutionary to to bring those, you know, to, stalking those victims in probably you know if you were a Londoner at that time into maybe some of these really familiar, familiar. places, yeah, you know,
0: like those tube and, tunnels and, and things like that, you know, being all you know the one one in, entry, one way out, and being chased out of it,
1: you know, there's only one way to yeah, go. yeah, that reality, yeah, I and I hadn't really thought about it like that. I mean, I the guy in the subway uh or in the tube i should say was always the scariest one for me because you know we've all been to a train station of some sort and you can just put yourself in that guy's position like fuck Mm. run and um and to no avail you know yeah uh that, that was a very claustrophobic panic inducing um scene for sure but um it just works so beautifully and, and it's, it's so filmed, watchable.
0: The way it's filmed really inspires that because it's from the perspective of the wolf hunting its prey. Yeah. So you're yeah. not the victim. You're actually, from the point of view, of the werewolf, but you're still yeah. feeling for the victim. It's actually just a really good, like, play on how yeah. your emotions are being set. You know, I think it's, yep. it's amazing. Um, it is amazing. Definitely. It looks different. effortless. Yeah, it's Perfect. And it's one of those ones that probably gets discounted as a B film um, by Mm. lots of people. Um, But, you know, like I said, we talked a lot about the transformational practical effects, but the practical effects on... um, Forgive me what the best mate who gets mauled by the werewolf's name is. I can't remember. (laughs) Um,
1: His name is... Oh... Sorry. His practical effects
0: on his rotted, shredded... Um, skin yeah. like as it's aging through the film and it's just like it, it's pretty brutal when he's all blood and fresh but then Jack Jack when Jack comes back to um, envisions to talk of you know when he's having when he's having nightmares the the yeah. way that the, the the slashed skin off his cheek and his neck is just hanging there yeah I mean, that's,
1: oh. that's, that's that's that stuck with me too mate <laughs> thats a, yes that's a brutal thing to see mm. wow as a 10 year old as as a ten year old, and then for him to t- turn up like nothing's happened in the girlfriend in in like your new girlfriend's home, like ugh, the the seemingly bringing the supernatural and grotesque into a seemingly really yeah, just sitting on the couch uh, having a chat, lifelike, yeah, yeah. having a cup oh, of man. tea,
0: having a cup of tea and the tea falling through your throat
1: hole, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I'm imagining um Robert Kirkman and Greg Nicotero. Taking the idea of that slow decay mm. and putting it into The Walking Dead because Absolutely. from season one to now, yeah. there's a lot of decay. You know, it's talked about with the the um, the intros yeah. have decayed a lot, like yeah. the footage and yeah. the um, the zombies and the towns they they go through. You know, the whole decay of what they're trying to portray. Sorry, is what is like ten years, twelve years on from the first apocalypse going to be a uh, interesting,
0: interesting topic. Through this episode, is the concept of decay. Um, that's the this is what happens, Lawson. Is as we get onto this thing, and we end up pulling connections, particularly when Mark and I compare our things, um, yeah. films, not things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.
1: There will be no decay when we. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> oh, so God. so Marco. Any any no. more um,
0: final points that you want to bring to light about the? Oh, uh,
1: let's have a look. I made some all a little bit of out out of um, out of order as usual. Um, yeah, the the main actors were David Norton, Jenny Argata, and Griffin June. Griffin June was the one that plays um, Jack, the Walking Meatloaf, as. Um, David called him and then regretted it during his transformation scene. Um, <laughs> uh, we've talked about The Walking Dead, Rick Baker. I reckon from this, Lawsoners, if you haven't already, go and have a listen to the Joe Rogan podcast where he spends a bit of time with the um, with Rick Baker, the um, the effects guy from this who won all the awards. That's a really interesting deep dive, and because we know. Joe Rogan has like one of those huge Kessler werewolves in his in his house, which I think is fucking great. Yeah, I think he appreciates too that marriage of um of, of horror and comedy and being it being so fresh for the time. Um, but that is honestly, that's about it for all my 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 uh, legal pad tidbits for there for sure. That's awesome, Marco. Um, what a what an awesome deep dive!
0: And so that there effectively would sing normally in normal times would signal the end of an episode. Yep. But it but Lawson's, guess what? It doesn't because I'm about to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it's hundred. It's a hundred. Our hundredth episode. So it's now it's Adam's turn. So we we challenge you to not to the no scrub challenge. Get get a, Hit up TLC on MySpace. They'll get back to you. And just tell them I'm trying the Wastelands no scrub challenge. And if I can send you out a PVC uh, pair of flares and a tube top and some of those clips, butterfly clips for your hair, and you can like dress up, get your TLC on, and no scrub through this episode.
0: <laughs> so, this double picture <laughs> brought to you by TLC. Um, so, okay. This is the bit. <laughs> so, I'm going to, I guess, um, I don't know how to introduce this because it's a bit fresh, but the um, listeners, you may not know this. Well, you won't know this unless I tell you, is that I'm not actually in Studio Obscenito right now. No. But I'm on the road. You're in a remote location. I am in a remote location, uh, in a, a somewhat post-apocalyptic remote lo- location. The rig has been packed up into a suitcase and is being reinstalled in a little uh, little donger. <laughs> bungalow. <laughs> a little bungalow um, in West, West Queensland. Um, my film that I'm going to be talking about is very strongly connected to this place. But, but, we can never, never, never break formula. So, no uh, here's the trailer, my dear Losner, and we'll catch you on the other side of this. The world had been through a trial by fire, and only the greatest warriors and their deadliest enemies emerged from the flames.
1: Who are you? Nobody. I'm still, I can feel it. The dice are rolling
0: he was the one they called mad but he's just a raggedy man
2: but to those whose lives hung in the balance where's the waiting ones waiting for one Waiting for you he was the one they called hero
0: ladies and gentlemen boys and girls dying times here now mad max is back in beyond thunderdome our epic. Uh, (laughs) Beyond Thunderdome, Mad Max 3. Uh, Look, this is a controversial pick for me because I've got to say, this is like my favourite Mad Max movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent.
0: Um, And and it's interesting because of a lot of reasons, which I will be sharing with you shortly, Uh, but to sort of end the suspense, right now I'm in Chinchilla. The little town, which is uh, about 300, 400 kilometres west of uh, Brisbane, I'm Mm -hmm. out here doing workshops for uh, young people and doing some art programming. Um, But more interestingly enough, and it was just the timing was amazing, is that... It's taken us a hundred episodes to talk about Mad Max, dude. How the hell, yeah. like, in, yeah. like we've referred to Mad Max a hundred times nearly every sure. episode, but this is the first time we're actually going to have a focused on literally talking about a Mad Max movie. Um, I'm pumped. So the big thing about Chinchilla, dear Losner and dear Marco, is that George Miller grew up here, the director of Mad Max. Yep. He, his parents owned a small cafe, uh, he moved away in 1963 to the, when he was 18 to study to be a doctor in Sydney, but um, basically he had a living here left a lasting impression on him because heading west out of Brisbane, there's the Warrego Highway, and when we say highway, it is highway in the loosest sense of the word. It's basically two lanes. It's 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 a death trap. Mm-hmm. Living in regional uh, remote areas. As a young person, cars become a really important survival uh, technique for independence and Mm self-expression. No, no more than much more than out here. Um, What comes from that is car accidents, epic car accidents, lots of road deaths of young men and women on on these roads. These themes stuck with George Miller, Mm -hmm. and so some of the elements of. of the carnage and the car, the love affair of the car, are, are absolutely all throughout the Mad Max series. You know, mm-hmm. And and I think that that's a really amazing thing. I've been driving that highway today. I'll be driving that highway tomorrow. I'm going a bit further out to Miles, and I will take some photos of the Warrego Highway to put up on Instagram for our listeners. Um, yeah, but so so it's so this is sort of like the origin town without without chinchilla and the culture in the 60s, we wouldn't have Mad Max today. There's another mm-hmm. thing I found out today. So, that little tidbit of information is there's a plaque in the in Main Street, and Heaney Street, um, in Chinchilla. There's not much to signify that George Miller's from here, except for this tiny little weather-beaten plaque, um, which I will also stick up on Instagram for the listeners to have a look at. Yes. Um, but then I was reading around, and I was talking to Jen this afternoon, and she decided to have a bit of a squeeze around on Google. And she found me this amazing piece of tidbit information, that there was this guy called called Mac Max sorry Max Dingus Dennis sorry who was uh, who was a school friend of Miller who was nicknamed Mad Max for his wild and rough ways now this guy who was born in the local Chinchilla RSL when it was converted to a field hospital in World War II, was a mad bastard. He loved anything with wheels. He loved guns. He made his own bullets, you know, like he used to oh, yeah. bunny hop motorbikes up onto rail fences and ride them along the top. He was an absolute huh. fucking legend of the area. And be- <laughs> and so the name Mad Max was from the time when George Miller went to school in Chinchilla, which is God, cool. God. You know, so, so cool. So this, so, so this is the origin backstory, you know, before we even get to talking about, you know, when you say, hang on a second, why is Thunderdome your favourite Mad Max movie? So we'll go flip back to the t- page. So Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome from 1985, which has an inter- internet movie database score of 6.2 and an 81% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes yeah, is actually... Higher than I actually thought Because Throughout my (laughs) life I've been You know You come across people And they will always compare Thunderdome Obviously to its first two films Mad Max and Road Warrior And sort of almost unfairly Because Mm. If you watch Mad Max Thunderdome By itself In a standalone film It it holds up It absolutely does hold up It just pales into example When it's compared to its predecessors Right yeah, agreed. Um, it stars Mel Gibson, Tina Turner, Angry Anderson from Rose Tattoo, a bunch of other people, and Bruce Spence, the gyro captain, who doesn't play the gyro captain. This film he plays Jeb- Jebediah, which is a very confusing scenario because it breaks people's brains. But basically, Max is in his late 40s. He's about 46, so he's basically our age. Yep. It's... It happens twenty years after the first Mad Max, so that kind of makes the if you timestamp that Mad Max one is about eighty three eighty five. So this makes yeah. it about two thousand and five. is when, um, ah. so Mad Max. So this is old Mad Max. He's been nomading around. He's like, you know he's got the he there's there's the attention to the detail in this movie, for the backstory is so. Massive and through the years of mm-hmm. watching it and watching it and watching it again, every time I watch it, I pick up something new, no, just even recently watching it, when Mad Max goes into Barter Town, so he 's been wandering the wastelands and he comes to the last remote outpost of of, of society, which is bartertown, run by auntie uh, auntie, who is uh, Tina Turner you can 't go into bartertown unless you get rid of all your weapons, so he just unloads all his you know, it's gun after gun after gun. Last time I watched this, just this last week, I realised he takes out a crossbow. It's and I went ah. back for a second. I've seen that crossbow. I went back and watched um Road Warrior. Yeah. It's it's actually Wes's crossbow. <gasps> oh, really? Yeah. So that that is the level of attention to detail that this movie actually has, mate. Like it's it's unreal. Like that's that you know, the, it's just there's wow. so much, so much in it that it – it actually does stand on it there's and, and there's also this, there's hints in this movie that then are totally all in fury road yeah you can yeah. see the origins you know it becomes a perfect and i think this film is uh, fury road is amazing i love that film but fury Same. road brings thunderdome up because it yeah. creates a different a different continuum of the storyline um, mm-hmm. so basically this is the rundown right In 2005, Mad Max has been wandering the wastelands. He's old. He's haggard. He's a raggedy man. Um, (laughs) He basically goes to Bartertown, and he's forced to fight in the Thunderdome. It's where he meets Blaster. He then, you know, the epic fight scenes that are in that. He then um, beats Blaster, goes to kill him, realises that he's not, you know, he's just a a man who, you know, I think he's he's, – underdeveloped, uh, yeah. probably, you know, not formed. So he has pity on him and doesn't want to kill him, uh, which basically then gets him out of favour with the powers that be. And mm-hmm. uh, and so he's exiled again to the wastelands where he bumps into a bunch of kids in this weird, and the movie takes this weird Peter Pan sort of flip. Um, and then they go back to Bartertown Town and then there's an epic car train chase and it's the end. Yep. sounds very basic but this film is broken up into three distinct parts which is the first 45 minutes is all around Bartertown Town and the brutalness of Bartertown. and in itself that, I love that part it's my favourite part of the movie is the Barter Town, the way that society has absolutely decayed from yeah, just after the fuel crisis in 1983 with Mad Max 1 through to um, the Road Warrior where it's actually gone to the yep. point where it's, it's gone to shit. Somewhere between um, 83 and five years later from that. Um, so, so sometimes sometime between 1985 and 1990, which is around the time that the road warrior took, they, they, it's gotten worse. Then between 1990 to 2005, there's been a nuclear war. Mm. And then, so the ravage and the decay of 2005 is the basis of a nuclear war. Yep. Which some people went, oh, it's meant to be gasoline. Well, there's no more gasoline. We've already got rid of the gasoline. We're actually into water. Water is the sacred part, yep. which is flows onto the Fury Road. It's a time lineal
1: yeah, to connect yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And a nuclear war was pretty imperative back then because you know, the Cold War was, uh, you know, they were talking about nuclear war a lot with yeah. the Cold War and, and in the, those Reagan years, you know. And it's that um, time
0: stamp, isn't it? Because in 1985, that was what the big issue was. And when Mad yeah. Max in 1979 came out, the big issue was fuel. Melbourne was going yeah. through a massive fuel shortage. Australia was going through a fuel shortage. So they, were the, they became the themes of the time. Um, yep. So they're reflective of that. So I saw – and I saw um, this movie – Actually, at the drive-in again, another drive-in movie at the Seymour Drive-in. Seymour Drive-in, um, which is another quite post-apocalyptic r- rural community. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Hey, the bike has turned you on to Motorhead. There can't yeah. be all that bad. No, well, that's it, isn't it? That's you yeah, know, there's there's some always some good things. The uh, the outcasts <laughs> are always the the. But yeah, so I think I even have the Mad Max Thunderdome uh, poster as well that I you know last episode I. I showed the E.T. one. Um, yeah, cool. So so, there, so there's fond memories of this film. I, I, I can't remember if this was – I don't think – I think I'd seen Road Warrior before I saw this film. Okay. Um, I saw it. I think it was either 2005 or 2006 that I saw this. Yep. Um, and I just remember loving it. But the I said, yeah. it starts in the first 45 minutes. It's a brutal post-apocalyptic survival decay tent. And then it switches in the second part and becomes almost like this Spielbergish um focused, like, you know, what, like… Steven Spielberg did with ET was introducing kids as the protagonists, and, and it has this yeah, sort and of Goonies, yeah, this Never Neverland style uh, um, yeah, approach. Yeah. Um, and some people hate that. And I, 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 as a kid, I didn't mind it. Then I sort of through the eighties and nineties sort of began to sort of. Uh, but re- revisiting mm. it, mm. it actually has a real purpose, and the purpose is Max's redemption. Yep. It's because he is. Yeah, he lost his child. He wasn't able to protect his children, uh, his kid in the first one. And then he comes full circle around. He's exiled into the bush, into the desert, and then he discovers not just one child but a tribe of children that he, he's yep. going to save. And this, yep. and this is about the end journey. of This is the thinker's Mad Max. It doesn't have the chase scenes. It doesn't have all yep. the stuff. that It's not a road movie. It's not a car movie. You yeah, o- you only get a chase or a car movie scene in the last fifteen minutes, which is the final mm. part. And mind mm-hmm. you, it's epic. But yeah, y- you learn to sort of the feeling of those children and the connection of that community um, sets up Mad but Ma- Max's redemption as, in, in, as a human because he becomes mm. pretty inhuman through the series. Yep. Um, and then it ends with the uh, jumping on the train, which is a truck on uh, on the tracks, and then all the marauders chasing. And that's when you get to the, the – the, this is the ticket that the, the Mad Max lovers wanted. and They wanted to see angry Anderson as Iron Bar get killed seven times. Because I'm sure he – like every time they knock <laughs> him off and you think he's dead and he's back again, the guy's yeah. got more lives than a cat. Um, it's so fun. <laughs> um and so and then it ends it ends it ends that way and there's lots of nods to like you know the record on a stick that they play on a record player There's no way that thing's playing but who cares we're not going to get into that um, so so but it was all those elements that I really enjoyed because it was different to like Mad Max and maybe yeah. that's why you know it was at the time probably shit canned because it was different to Road Warrior and Mad Max but yeah. if you look back at it Mad Max One and Road Warrior, and Mad Max Two are different films as well. Yeah, they're yeah. very different films. So to have yeah. a third different film, I don't think really makes much difference. And then Fury Road is a different film again because it just yeah. it just changes. So
1: yeah, yeah, uh, th- that's what you see when you well you start out with an indie movie created by people from where you are bunked up tonight. Ads chinchilla, you know. That's what you get when people make – unknown people make an an amazing fucking independent movie. It gains traction. So Road Warrior was, you know, edging itself closer towards the American market. And then uh, uh, Beyond Thunderdome is the full – um, realization of that, you know, they, Warner, they, Warner they bring Brothers, in bigger Warner, characters.
0: They, they, you know, it was funded by Hollywood. Warner Brothers got on board. They they um, distributed it. You know, it had a massive budget. I think you know yep. it, it, it had a thirty million dollar budget or something like that for the time. It was huge. Um, and this is the thing, and this is what I want to get into is that bringing in. Like Tina Turner as the main character. It is the first Mad Max song to have pop song Mad Max movie to have pop songs. You know, mm-hmm. We Don't Need Another Hero is iconic. You don't mm-hmm. have to like Tina Turner to know that song. Like it was epic yep. at the time. The interesting thing about this is that it was not actually ever really set out to be a Mad Max movie. Miller was working on this with his um, longtime collaborator Brian. Byron Kennedy, and it was meant to be a Lord of the Flies style future post apocalyptic film about a tribe of children who um, really? were in the future, and a nomadic stranger um, comes across them and, and then tries to save them. It was huh. it, through the film's development, and whilst they were having difficulty pitching it, Miller had this idea that what happened if that nomadic stranger was Max? Yeah, and as soon as he said that. They got the funding, ah, so the of premise, course. So the premise of the the, the 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 almost the Never Never Land. The reason it's there is because that is the original premise of the film. Yeah, the, the Thunderdome, bartertown Town, and the post-apocalyptic was elements of there, but it's all now put in the context of Max, and so they've overlaid this yeah. redemption story to make yeah, sense yeah. of that. Yeah, I and feel, it fits, and I feel so much more happier about that movie when you put that into context. Sure, um, so that's really well explained, actually. Um, so, so it was so. Norm, Byron Kennedy was a long-time collaborator. He worked with Miller to raise the three hundred fifty thousand dollars that they got to make the first Mad Max. Unfortunately, tragedy struck in nineteen eighty-three when Byron uh, was actually killed in a helicopter crash while scouting locations for this film. Um, which absolutely devastated George Miller. And mm-hmm. and you can actually, if there's a sorrow in uh, Thunderdome, which I think is actually because of that, because they collaborated, they co-directed, they put these films together. It's George Og- uh, Ogilvie is the actual co-director of this because Miller just needed the assistance because he was grieving for a lifelong friend. Sure. Um, and... So, it goes down in folklore that Miller didn't want to deal with people, so he just did the action scenes and Ogilvy mm-hmm. did all the character mm-hmm. development scenes and that's why they sort of different, but that's been debunked in past, you know, that, that okay. they actually did it all together. Um, sure. But it's actually an interesting thing because there is this almost different style of storytelling because the creative team it didn't have um, Byron Kennedy as the producer because he would unfortunately mm-hmm. passed. Um, mm-hmm. So grief stricken was Miller in the making of this. He's actually said that um, he remembers very little of actually yeah, right. making this film. Yeah, you know, huh. but he does remember the film as being a cathartic exercise to work through his grief for the loss of his friend. And I think that's amazing. That's a, that's a that is that's a beautiful thing. Um, yep. So, yeah, it was. um, So, like I said, it was the first uh, Mad Max film to receive Hollywood funding. Um, It had the soundtrack. You know, its working title was actually called Desert World?
1: Desert World. Yeah. It makes water. You
0: know, know, water world, desert world. I like that sort of connection. Yeah, yeah. Nice Um, crossover. Tina Turner was. um, The role was actually written for Tina Turner, but they weren't sure if they were. They thought there's no hope in hell that Tina Turner is going to. Go for this. So they were pitching it to Jane Fonda. Um, really, and, and it was interesting, that, and it was that close to getting Jane Fonda to uh, sign on the dotted line. But then Tina Turner came around and said yes, and they went ah. So she shaved her head for this because she had to wear a wig. You notice how Tina has a really high hairline in this film. She, oh yes, she, she had no problem. She shaved her head. What a champion! And that chainmail dress, yeah. is actually weighed over a hundred kilos. <laughs> So you know what an absolute champion I think she
1: what uh, a badass yeah
0: Tim Turner is a badass man I don't care what anyone yeah, says she that is. woman is wicked um, yeah she is she is it was the first film to uh, Mad Max film to receive a PG thirteen rating consequently mm. um, Fury Road also had a uh, a PG rating on release which so that started the trend with that connection. Uh. Um, Couple other little tidbits in there. Did you know that after Thunderdome, and I'm going to apologise, as my voice is just getting croakier and croaker as we get along. Um, <laughs> Sounds good though, mate. It's uh, it's it's getting sexy. Hey. Um, so there was actually a TV series pitched after Thunderdome, and it was um, cool. It was. It almost got over the line. Warner Brothers were on board. Um, the, first direct, the first actor who was – it wasn't going to be Mel Gibson. It was uh, someone – Blake, I can't remember his name. It was It was almost going to go, and he got uh, – the main actor got seriously injured with a brain injury in a car accident, and hmm. so they pulled the pin. How amazingly spooky is the, this whole concept of cars and accidents that keep on plaguing yeah. the, 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 yeah. the stories of, of, of Mad Max? Yeah, and of George Miller himself, yeah, George Miller. Um, the in '93 it was pitched again. I love this dude. This got me so excited when I read this for the first time. Guess who was pitched to play Mad Max, and who had actually pretty much was signed on the dotted line to play Mad oh, Max? Daryl Daryl Summers. No man, it was Bruce Campbell, dude. Oh, could you imagine Bruce Campbell going
1: grooving? Oh. <laughs> that. Yeah, that would have been a really interesting take on it.
0: Yeah, so wow, that, uh, but that didn't happen. And the, it went through various incarnations in and out, in and out, in and out, which eventually then became Fury Road. Um, Love so, it. So,
1: that oh, was, T- Tom Hardy is such a worthy Max. And I, it, I, I loved him in that. And there's been
0: lots of conjecture about you know where it fits in the timeline and is Max Max or is Max. A person or a title, and look, it doesn't really matter. It works, and I don't want to dig too deeply into it. because But I think the what I love about it is that there is elements with it which is clearly Miller back to form doing a car movie with practical yeah, effects. Yeah,
1: yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Another little, another
0: little tidbit that I wanted to put um, insight is Bartertown was run on pig shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this preceded. This happened before Miller's massive, next massive hit that happened. Well, he had a couple of massive hits, but Babe (laughs) was- Oh, yes. So, the pigs in Thunderdome are the direct ancestral connection to Babe. (laughs) I'm just putting that out there. Love it. I'm putting that out there, listeners. Um, what else have I got here? Like I said, it's the Thinkers Mad Max, um, Look I like it. I like I I will go as far as saying is I I don't know if I like it more than the other Mad Maxes or but I'd like it in a different way because yeah. I think it's a yeah. different movie and I will yeah. go back to it over and over and over again. Yeah. Because It's a comfort movie. It's actually – it's familiar. I watched it as a kid. I love The Barter Town. Look, Lawson, as you are listening to a a podcast called Wastelands, like what else are you going to be getting is other – Barter Town. Is is Barter Town. Um, I've done The Pilgrimage – to the to to chinchilla with the unofficial Miller in chinchilla episode, um,
1: yeah, here you are, and um,
0: you know I think there's no more suitingly fairly suited way to talk about how to actually um, celebrate our hundredth episode except for this. Body count, body count. Oh, seamless. So, as you could <laughs> expect, being a PG thirteen film. The body count in this isn't that high. It's five. Um, but that doesn't oh, yeah. count the nine or ten times that Angry Anderson dies and then comes back. <laughs> it really gets nailed so many times in this yeah. movie to the point where he – his car gets blown up by the truck on the train tracks and he turns yeah. out and he does that, f- f- you know, middle finger up in the wreckage out. And, and oh, it, it's like, yes. is he sticking his finger up at max or the audience? I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Knowing, knowing Angry Anderson, it's probably the audience. Um, yeah. So the movie went for <laughs> 107 minutes, which means the kill um, per minute is 0.046, which is right. about one kill every 21.4 Minutes, Right. so right. it's not an overly brutal movie in the no. corpse count, but no. there's lots of other brutality in it. Like yes, the, and you know, I think the 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 decay of civilization is front and center in this film, and I love that. And I think mm-hmm. it 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 became a part of that. You know what, Mad Max inspired post apocalyptic films. Man, Max, um, Beyond Thunder, Beyond Thunderdome, just buys into that that wheelhouse yeah. and actually builds yeah. upon it to a level that no other film had done and was able to do because up until that yeah. point they were cheap Italian knockoffs or yeah. they were they were low rate. This was a big budget post-apocalyptic yeah. movie. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was. It was on top. It was on top, on top of the castle where it was the whole time. Um, but this was really, really setting the flag on top and just saying, look, we, we can get big-name artists, we can get Hollywood behind us, mm. we can take it from, you know, we, we can take it from independent. genre films, yeah, to make it yeah, mainstream. To, to to huge blockbuster
0: within a trilogy? Done. And it made money, and it wasn't universally shit-canned. The only reason it was probably the, mo- the biggest criticism it had from pro-critics was that it was boring. But that's only because yeah, right. they were comparing it to Mad Max Road Warrior, where they just wanted non-stop road chases. It was it's, just chase scenes. It's yeah. a different type of movie, and I got And I, and for that, I think it's it, it's a great movie. Um, so the kills, I guess a compa- in comparison for this is Mad Max. Oh, here we get a bonus. Body um count. Body count. You get more body counts for your money on episode 100 listeners. Oh, the kill count for Mad Max Road Warrior is mm-hmm. 35. So although mm-hmm. with that is huge, that's right up there. In a 96 mm-hmm. minute min, min, 96 minute movie, that's a 0.363 kills per minute or one kill every 2.7 minutes. That is that probably is one of our highest ever kill counts even though this oh, move, so? this episode is not about uh Mad Max but um Road Warrior. But it just gives you an indication of going from an R-rated film with 35 kills to a PG film with five. Sure. That's the difference. And, you know. Body count. Body count. I think this little Chinchilla studio is actually making my edit push finger tight as hell, isn't it?
1: That is the blessing of George Miller. Coming down, Hanging over it? you like a cloud, ads he's going. Like, Here be, he you're is. You're gonna be tight, motherfucker. He's gonna be tight. I will help you. So he's like, his g- finger is helping you slide the faders.
0: So, um, Losners, we really. Uh, there's not much more I can say. I love this film. I will continue the loss. I will fight anybody that actually challenges me. I will fight anyone <laughs> in a Thunderdome. The challenges me. Yay. that this is not a great movie. Um, <laughs> I think any movie that can enter the the, the the lexicon of who has not heard of Thunderdome? Yeah. Like, it is, it is iconic. It is an iconic thing. It was bungee cord jumping before there was bungee cords. There's chainsaws. There's pikes. There's a symbiotic relationship between a small person and a Neanderthalic um, – mutated man it's got Tina Turner it's got pigs it's got the b role of Australian actors it was filmed in Coogee, P. D. and the Blue Mountains it's got road rage it's got road races it's got trucks it's got children it's got barter town it's got radioactive it's got everything and you know what it's great so you convinced me mate so like I said see you in Thunderdome if you disagree with me Losners challenge challenges challenge. out there now so you can and if you want to challenge me in a thunderdome battle you can reach us on the socials at wasteland's radio show how was that for a segue that was tight <laughs> dude Woo!
1: Oh, uh, at, George at, Miller's going to love this.
0: At Wastelands Radio Show on TikTok, or as Mark says, Bloody TikTok. Bloody um, TikTok. On Instagram and Facebook, or Wastelands RS on Twitter. You can also send us an email at Wastelands Radio Show at Gmail. And mm-hmm. you can go to the website, wastelands.com.au for hints, tips, and a booking form for Thunderdome with Adam Obscene. <laughs> Yes, the
1: podcast where two men enter, but two men men leave leave.
0: (laughs) their own separate ways. Uh, (laughs) Lostners, we have cracked over the hour. This is officially the longest ever Wastelands episode we have ever done.
1: But, you know, we can do that. Yeah, two movies, one episode. And it's our hundredth. So you can always Why just not? pause it in
0: the middle and come back at the, you know, listen yeah. to it on the way to work and listen on the way home. It's all good. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, Marco, congratulations yeah. on sticking with this. Um, it's a. It's it's been. Uh, it's been a ride,
1: hasn't it? Yes, it has, but it's been a fun ride. I, I really love—I've loved every bit about it. But I have really loved uh, wh- the, the episodes and the footage we've done together. That has been so much fun. And uh, Lawson,
0: as you can expect, more of that to come because uh, Marco is moving back to sunny Queensland, and we mm-hmm. will be podcasting in the flesh more often which means more video hilarity more crossovers and i think probably a bit more piss take
1: videos right yeah i hope so i think we'll be able to yeah i think we'll be able to do that Uh, i'm i really like it i I like our uh our, our banter when we're sitting in the same room I don't know. It just it just fires me up.
0: I can't help but laugh all the way through that shit. It's great. And look, you know, we started this in twenty nineteen, August twenty nineteen, pre pandemic. We've kept you company throughout the the pandemic at times, times when things are looking at more and more post-apocalyptic with food shortages, water shortages, fuel, fuel shortages, supply chain issues, power issues. It's all happening. But you know, one thing that is constant is that we will continue broadcasting across the internet radio waves and bringing you Wasteland's radio show for years to come. This is the season finale of series three we will be launching next week into series four we are asking the lostness to get in contact and tell us what you want to hear give us some feedback and we will start doing some mailbag shows and reading out your emails and messages online
1: absolutely tell us your unconventional uh comfort movies or even what are your conventional comfort movies let us in on that side of that side of things you know Tell
0: us why you think Xanadu is better than Thunderdome.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: Xanadu! All All right, Marco, let's uh, wrap this one okay. up at an hour and uh, 11 minutes. Is there anything else you would like to add?
1: It's a good night from me.
0: And it's good night from him.
1: Before you say another word.
0: Sure. I'm just recording because uh, this <clears> is now the after party of episode 100. <clears throat> Ooh.
1: Ah. Oh, mate, you should have gone out and got yourself a beer. I've got my, mate, I've got my pe- peppermint tea. Oh, my good.
2: Oh. Ooh.
1: Mate, i I got, th- some, uh, I got some tea over there, too. I should join you in one. I'm thinking um, what we're going
0: to start doing, listeners, is uh, after ep- every episode, we're going to just do a little postscript where if there was any little things that we forgot to mention or just little wraparounds, yeah. this will be the bonus content that if you become a subscriber to our um, service, that you'll get access to this type of business. Um, Marco. Yes, sir. question that pops into my mind about American Whale for London. And okay. Mad Max, Beyond Thunderdome, mm-hmm. is What's a question, probably more of a statement. They're both films that used American
1: money, mm-hmm.
0: but weren't filmed in America.
1: Oh, yeah. I wonder if that was uh, common at the time, because it's certainly common now.
0: And I think you know? also they become, when they filmed... Uh, maybe now, when a, the thing about when a film is using American money, like particularly, say, uh, American film's filmed in Australia now, yep. that you don't really see the Australian essence. It's just, an American, no. you know, it's just an American film on the Gold Coast or in Brisbane or in, in Fox sure. Studios in, in Sydney. But back yep. in the day, if you had an uh, American film filmed in Australia, it was the who's who of Australian actors. Yes, yeah. it, it might have had an obligatory American actor in it. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. It was um, you know, I think it's it's an interesting interesting tape because it's also in American werewolf in London. Like that's a yeah. that yeah, you know, this British actors, you know, like you said Rick Mail, you know,
1: it yeah, it yeah. feels like a Hammer film,
0: you know, but
1: yeah, it does feel like a Hammer film, especially some of the cast that we haven't thought or talked about. Tonight, which is like the the doctor, yep. and um, the two police officers, you know the yep. the older guy trying to be so serious, and the younger one being a little bit more, bringing the comedy, bringing the almost like slapstick comedy to it. You know, um, it's almost like this, this 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 scene here, like
0: this is where it, like let one live. A lunatic must have been a very fierce fellow. Wasn't a lunatic. What? A wolf. The lunatic must have been a very Ferris fellow. <laughs> the, the, the yes, it's like it's it's got that real British sense of humour, right?
1: Yeah, it does. It does. It does. That dry delivery and that straight acting through what is such a uh, an outlandish, like supernatural supernatural situation to would you be would you in, go as you know? far
0: as saying it's a out and out, John Landish. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh.
0: oh, thank you. Uh, oh, and I think that that comedy oh. might have actually been lost on the American audiences too. Do you think?
1: Maybe, maybe some of the some of the um, comedy delivered by the American actors could could have gone over well,
0: mm. um, but the straight face stoic. You know, sarcasm. <laughs> I yeah. <hate> sarcasm me. To throw back to a, yeah, a young one yeah. episode.
1: <laughs> oh, that's right. The dry mm. yeah, the dryness of um of, of British humor for sure. But um yeah, I think um I think think shooting things on like I was saying before, shooting thing uh shooting in locations that were um would have been familiar to the London uh you know London hometown people. Sorry, I don't know what to say, but um, you know, would have been so um yeah, yeah, foreign to American at that time.
0: Almost and exotic. In the same way exotic. that in Australian like Mad Max Thunderdome. Like it's the I think that what Mad Max Films did was actually set the Australian desert as the feature archetypal space of the post Mm -hmm. of of the apocalypse. Yep. Because it just looks like it because that's what happened, right? Yeah. That's
1: what it really
0: is. And when you're like, even when you're driving out here and you drive, as soon as you basically drive past Dolby West, Mm -hmm. you hit, mm -hmm. you know, you get over the Great Dividing Range. And you know, mm-hmm. this is like this. It goes from, it could be Miles and Chinchilla or Broken Hill or Cooper Pedi. It's yeah. west of the Great Dividing Range is yeah.
1: the wastelands. Yeah, for sure, out to
0: Charleville, and then it starts to get really desert. And then it's then it's next level desert. But this is the yeah. thing is that that became the vision for yep. the
1: apocalypse. Yeah, that's just yep. Australia. But that's just Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you, you can, in, like in, um, in Road Warrior, the, uh, Miller captured that sense of space so well. Like when he's standing
0: Uh, on the cliff face, looking down, Look at the start and he's looking down. Yeah. And he he sort sort of tried to recreate that at the start of Fury Road as well, where like there's a similar scene where Max is standing on the cliff face and he, but it's a, it's a, big sky and i notice it as soon as you yeah. get through when, once you're sort of even uh, heading out this way you get on the other side of um ipswich and you come down mm. into plain lands and mm. it's like the sky just opens up mm. it's like yep. it, it's just big
2: yeah and it, and yeah it,
0: and it's and it's out, and it becomes a character the same way as the moors in american Werewolf in london Become a character, or yeah, you know, you're taking yeah, a Absolutely, you're taking a werewolf out of the moors, which is so familiar in classic horror storytelling, and then yep. putting it into a suburban urban setting.
1: Yeah, and yeah, then that
0: makes that iconic.
1: So you 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 instantly make the viewer uncomfortable because you put them watching something happen in an that environment that they're, they're not familiar with. Yeah. And at the same time, the uh the people in the movie aren't familiar with either. And yeah, it um it yeah, it, it's it's and it's a great, like you said, turning that landscape into a character. It's incredible. Um y- if you want to see other people that embrace what we're talking about ads, you, you can um watch the extras on, on YouTube uh, of Quinton Tarantino talking about how he took so much from Mad Max uh, for death proof.
0: Yeah, and he talks about, and he, in, in the documentary Not Quite Hollywood, he talks about the Australians' love obsession with the way that we film a car. It's almost orga- orgasmic because it represents the relationship that we have with the car. It's not just a motor transport transportation. It's no. actually iconic in how we relate to each other and how we get around mm. and it, and mm. it, and, it, and it was manifested in the way that miller filmed the car because the car was so important in his survival as a child in the bush as much yeah. as punk rock was important to our survival of um, sure. yeah. being kids in the bush um place being a character is just to loop that back around is that in Mad Max Thunderdome where it's a desolate wasteland for the first 45 minutes and then they introduce this valley Mm -hmm. of green lush almost tropicalness. That's almost the same as taking a werewolf from the moors and putting it into the city. Is taking Mad Max out out of the desert and putting him into
1: paradise. Yeah. This place of abundance and water and yeah. Things growing, and innocence. you know, and, and young
0: people and innocence, like Barter Town, yep. which is everything opposite. Yep. No yep. green, stinks, corruption, power, mm-hmm. everything that's wrong with society. And yep. Mad Max is being a villainous scumbag. You know, he he you know he became ruthless uh, to survive. He's a ruthless killer, but then yep. to be taking this ruthless killer in the middle of a utopian, yeah, you know, innocent. Um, old, yeah. old, old, old enclave is 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 a real shift, and I think that for me, that's another one of those juxtapositions that you know I can justify the Peter Pan story in that because mm-hmm. that juxtaposition of taking a brutal survivalist, yeah, putting in you know everyone is being doing it tough for 20 years. There's been a nuclear war. Everything's radiated. There's no water. And here's these 40 kids living in a paradise waiting for Captain yeah. Walker to come and save them, who just yeah. happens Untouched. to look like Max. Yeah. And may or may not be brown-facing. <laughs> oh, no. Because the sort of thing is like, you know, it's, there's so many connections to Indigenous First Nations people. Mm. You know, are these kids Aboriginal or are they reverting to, a, you know, to, to that – um, or are they just super dirty kids? like I don't know, but there's enough of that yeah. in there. There's probably a bit of cringeworthy 80s treatment to First Nations people in there, but not a so, little bit, but yeah. not so uh, blatant that you're going you're gonna call it out Harry chronic Junior style and hey hate hey, Saturday <laughs> <laughs> Harry chronic Jr. that was a chronic cough that I actually went with that too so. <laughs> Uh, oh my I hope god you, hope you enjoyed that listeners that was for you, um yeah. mate that's i think that isn't it funny with it when you let the tape roll yeah know, how much you can sort of just keep on riffing on this sort of shit
1: yeah absolutely it's so close to our hearts um you know we we know the ins and outs of it uh, didn't really need to take a lot of notes to you know to be able to you know Remind myself of the the story arc and things like that, and yeah, they're beloved films for a really, really good reason. I've watched, I
0: watched, I um, watched American Way in London this week just to to familiarize myself with it. Uh, sure, it'd been a wee while since I watched it, and wait, there were several occasions that I jumped. Yeah, yeah, still yep. jumped, which is still weird, jumped. Right? That's weird.
1: Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. That that is weird. For for me, when I was younger. The, the jump scares that you get in that movie were the gold standard of jump scares for me. Like yeah. uh, I I could watch many, many other horror movies, but then when I went back and watched that one, even as getting older, they were the pinnacle. Like, fuck, jump scares. Get me every time. Get me every time. And I, and
0: I, like I said, I said it in the episode, I still can't get past Nazi werewolves invading a Jewish family house. Oh, no. There's
1: something iconic about that, dude. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 there was, in real history, there was a special ops or black ops um, uh, small battalion of, um, like, highly trained, yeah, I want to call them, like, black ops operatives in, in the Nazi army that that
0: Hitler called the werewolves. Yeah, and I think that, that there's a lot of... Um... There's a lot of uh, connection to biker movies and you know um, that type of thing where the iron cross and the and you know the the different the motif of the wolf pack is um, yeah it comes across and like I mentioned the Rob Zombie movie um has that totally plays to that um, yeah to that part as well
1: so um, yeah for sure but yeah I just remember
0: it was so familiar in saying taking a situation like the 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 tube and putting a werewolf running through it, Mm. I think for me why that scene was so lasting is because mum and dad, kids sitting around the TV watching the Muppets on a Saturday or Sunday night was Mm -hmm. so familiar. It was so comforting. It was so real. And then to um, have that tranquil sanctity of home invaded by by intruders – yeah, but a werewolf, no less, shooting yep. up the place.
1: It was brutal, dude. Very brutal. And, and he was having that dream in London, which was heavily bombed. Yeah, and, by the Nazis during World War Two. And you know, and you know, both sides
0: of <clears throat> both sides of war. Um, you know, soldiers will be guilty of doing invading civilians' homes, and and mm. and yeah you know, werewolf aside, that's a very real thing um, yeah you know, that shock and awe and scare and um you know the carnage of war and war crimes all that is like yeah. so horrific and more horrific than a transformation of um a, a man into a werewolf because
1: you know it's real yeah. <laughs> yeah it's real and it almost seems like we i mean we know it's a dream but it almost seems like something completely unrelated dropped into the movie you know and i think um john landis must have had a a really i don't want to say good time but he must have had a really interesting time creating these dreams to put in the middle of the movie because they stand out they really do him running naked through the forest and hunting down a a deer or something or whatever it was. And uh, then, like you said, the, the Nazi werewolves invading the Jewish home, like they're really out of – they're in there only because they're dreams. They have no other place in the movie at all. But they're so – they must have been so interesting for him to do and um, such an a important way to get into the head, literally, of su- of this kid who's going, who's been going through this serious traumatic event, and being given bad news on top of that, like him to process it, just, it makes perfect sense.
0: There's a there's a whole Franz Kafka metamorphosis undertone in a werewolf movie. I reckon. Mm, yeah, yeah. If we want to, okay. if we want to get really academic on it, is the you know if you're starting to dream, you know, that whole concept of the dream and the dream sequence and the transformation Mm. and the metamorphosis and, you know, the manifestation of what you fear the most. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Mm. that, that's, that's totally there. And that just, you know, that I hadn't thought of that. The only thing that I just thought of that then, because of what you just said, Um, it Mm. just really inspired that thought process that that metamorphosis. he, the change was coming it could be a representation of a a boy becoming a man or going from the fear of the unknown but you know the but that thing about having the dreams having the haunted nightmares of the thing that you fear the most Um, Mm -hmm. you know so i think that's really interesting i just dug this up listen to this
1: This film is a brilliant achievement in motion picture history. Finally, the truth about Hitler's diabolical plans to create a race of superwomen
2: can be told. Werewolf women of the SS. Welcome to Death Camp 13. Home of the Nazi's
0: diabolical plans I... to create an army of super werewolf soldiers. This project, its failure, will be your demise. And the end. Germany my Hitler. You have been
2: chosen. <laughs> Rejoice! I have
0: found the perfect solution. The
1: she-devils of Balzac. Can they alone supply the blood needed to save Hitler's mad
2: dreams? Or will the pride of Germany fall into ruin? This is my project. We are now in total control of pure
0: wolf.
1: And Nicolas Cage
0: as Fu Manchu.
2: This is my victim! <laughs> Werewolf Women
0: of the SS. I wish that that movie was wow. made, dude. I wish that yeah. that movie was made.
1: Like, was that the tar- that was that a was, Tarantino yeah, that was Rob,
0: that was Rob Zombie's trailer in Rob Zombie. grindhouse. Um, so you know they had guest, guest, um, people do you know that's when Machete was introduced from yeah. Rodriguez's, um, yeah, uh, trailer. So y- you didn't see it, but been playing that. It. Like it's it's got um, a werewolf. Using a machine gun in that that looks just like those Nazi werewolves in American Werewolf and Love. Uh, yeah. It's got Sherry Moon. It's got Sherry Moon zombie in it because she's in everything that Rob Zombie does as uh-huh. the head she wolf. Um, and then with a really nice nod to Hammer horror films, where mm. Christopher Lee always used to play Fu Manchu in the most shocking case of yellow face ever. Because, oh no! But, yeah. but then to take Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee and then replace Christopher Lee's sort of character with Nicolas Cage. (laughs) I I love that, dude. It is so awesome. But they haven't done anything but just put like a Fu Manchu beard on Nicolas Cage (gasps) and he just talks (gasps) like Nicolas Cage. It's great.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) I I really wish and hope that they make that movie, but unfortunately Rob Zombie decided to do a remake of The Monsters.
1: Oh, (laughs) I really wanted to see, uh, and it was in the pipeline, Uh, I really wanted to see uh, Brett Easton Ellis uh, had started collaborating with Rob Zombie on um, the remake of the, uh, the Charles Manson story, which I think would have been absolutely brilliant. But I think it got nixed. Uh, because um, Tarantino, Tarantino, Tarantino was working up the Sharon Tate's Once upon version. a time in Hollywood. Yeah, look, and it's yeah. interesting it's, that isn't
0: it? Because it's there's there's sort of like at the end that they're they're sort of different ends of the spectrum. Tarantino or Rob Zombie, but still in the same wheelhouse. That's sort of like genre based. Like if Tarantino is the gold yeah. standard, Rob Zombie, like Rob Zombie can put a artistically beautiful movie together. They just, like, yeah. I just wish you just wouldn't keep on doing remakes, like remaking Hell. Yeah. H- remake Remake like when he was doing like the Devil's Rejects or, um, you know, Three from Hell or uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, amazing movies. Yeah. Then the you yeah. know the first Halloween remake not so bad. The second Halloween two, um, and now he's doing this, uh, Monsters remake. You know, like. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think if he you know, when he I'm gets into that. his when he gets into movies inspired by the stuff that he loves, ah, uh. I think that's when he really hits his because he like us, we we will talk endlessly about the shit we love that we're passionate about. He could make a film mm-hmm. because he's so immersed in the subject matter. And I go far just to loot this around to say that I don't think you'd have to dig too deep to find that um, Rob Zombie loves American Werewolf in London. Yeah. Would agree. So there, Would agree. There we go. Um, I don't know. Apparently, uh, Furiosa is on the cards and is going to happen. Which is the next Mad Max movie.
1: Oh, I, I, yeah! That I can't wait. I think that's perfect, and I hope they get to film it back in Australia this time. And um, I think that, and I think
0: there's probably a good chance of it. The other thing too is. It's Sh- Charlize Thorong is not going to be in it because the Furiosa is younger. So they're going to play with that timeline. And, but I okay. think the actor who played the role of the chest, qu- chest ch- queen in the Queen's Gambit, um, I can't remember her name, but she, she ah. she's, she's, um, she's really great. And I think she's going to be playing a young Furiosa. So it'll be interesting to see right. how that lands in the wheelhouse. But apparently Tom Hardy may be in that as well. So...
1: Tom Hardy should be in that. I, I think, just change if possible. Just change the Max actor once. Yeah. You know, don't make it a revolving door. Don't don't turn it into like a James Bond sort of scenario. No. I, um, I would also like to see a super in the future Mad Max,
0: where it's yeah, where it's right. where it's where it's Mel Gibson again. Fuck yeah! Like an eighty-year-old Mad Max. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Yep. maybe when things wow. have, maybe things have started to come full circle and society's rebuilding itself again, but he's still that nomadic outsider that is yeah, uh, who's yeah. seen some who's seen some shit. You know.
1: sorry, I'm going on a Walking Dead tangent for a second, but I have found out that if you if w- once you get to the end of series eleven, it um that or while series eleven is still being watched we can find out more about what's to come and what's going on with Rick Grimes and stuff like that by watching more of Fear the Walking Dead and also that other spin-off, um, the one with the more millennials. Yeah, yeah. I think a new, a, new, a new World or something. Yeah,
0: yeah. Because, because they touch on the, uh, that, that organisation that has existed. Yeah. that is existing with the helicopters and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the helicopter connection is the last episode, the last series I'm up to in Fear the Walking Dead. They're totally into that whole helicopter drop thing. and ah, and, okay. and And Morgan is across into Fear the Walking Dead. Yes. Um, which is obviously that connection between Rick Grimes and Morgan is really quite um, tight. Yeah. Um, because he's become sort of like the leader of that new sort of group on the east Coast um, mm-hmm. but the helicopter mode because the last time we see Rick is he's being traded and he's flying off in a helicopter yeah so yeah you know, there is definitely that uh, like I've probably not that far I haven't seen all episode Me uh, either. series 11 I think I'm only halfway through series 10 but I'm pretty up to date with fear the Walking Dead and oh cool that's, I'm not that sort of but yeah they're good they, they fear the Walking Dead and um, and then that other millennial one Totally touches onto it because the senator representative in that first episode that I saw comes and visits that community. Mm, and, you know they, mm, and that can, mm. and that and that 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 political organisation is known for taking particular people from the the best of communities to then go and help build civil rebuild civilization. which right. is probably like that. Hints the gold standard brick grimes being plucked out of sure. Sort, sure yeah taken to you know so yeah i, I totally i totally Silly. i totally i think that that's that's in there wow man that's a that's a real full circle that. it is
1: it is man i got another one that i want to um start to read i've got the book here but the font man it's not my eyes the font oh it's so tiny it a. uh, uh Edition printed in the either oh, late eighties early nineties of Stephen King, The Talisman. Yeah, and I really wanted to start reading it, and, and it's another one of those bricks, mate. And but, but they the, published it with the tiniest font to yeah, save paper, pay, you but, know, yeah, because
0: it'd be this big.
1: Oh, far out! And um, De- Demi asked me last week. She's like, "I want to send you a care package, Mark. What, what can I send you?" And I was that like, well, "Honestly, <laughs>
0: Yeah,
1: please. No, I said a, 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 a more recent edition of The Talisman would be really good because now they use a, a better font, a clearer font, and, and, you know, but the pages of, of, of the copy I've got are really, mm. really yellow. But why I want to read it, at is because the Duffer brothers have just announced that um, that's going to be their new thing. They're remaking um, The Talisman. Oh, that's going to be interesting. So Stranger
0: Things versus Stephen King's. Yeah. That's, a, that's it, Worlds it, Collide, isn't it?
1: Man, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, definitely. It, it's an epic. It's an epic with um, with kids in it. So imagine a more, like, imagine the Dark Tower, Lord of the Rings, yeah. e- so epic size of the world. Cross with Stand By Me. Of course. Yeah, but with. Um, Stranger Things Kids. <laughs> with with Stranger, th- yeah, sorry, man. Stranger Things kids that that get into this this kind Indicament. of parallel universe. It's got, yeah, I think it's going to be a real interweave of the Dark mm. Tower world. That's and amazing. and now.
0: Oh well, I have to. I think I've got a couple of versions of that at home. I'll have to start digging that. Out. I just don't. You know what? I just don't get enough time to read. I hear you, man. Because I used to like, I used to just like sit up, put the bedside light on, and read. But I don't do mm-hmm. that anymore because the wee one needs to sleep. Yeah. And I yeah. need to sleep. You no, know, the biggest thing I get to read at the moment is What's articles that? in my Viva La Rock. That's about as much as I can stitch together. That's each, cool too, man. Because each story is one shit long. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great. So, oh, my God, man. But that's that's, yeah. that's the way it goes. Oh, man. What, All right, well, that look, was really enjoyable. That's
0: a that's our bonus episode. Just that's our bonus extra extra content Nice. Just,
1: um, our r- rant episode, rant episode. I think
0: something happened. I don't know. I will have to go back and listen to it. But there was a it stalled for a second. So we'll see what oh, we lost in that bit. But anyway, it was just a rambling r- riff riff fest. Riff fest.
1: I love it, man. I love it. I love it because we're both in, so into oh. the same stuff, and yeah, it's just. So good to talk about, man. It's I fucking like great. when we get into the
0: into the mode of hypothesising about storylines of shit that we're into, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, all right, mate. I've, um,
1: I'm go no rest.
0: Second. I'm going to go and uh, see what's on the old tube. Sounds
1: good, mate. I chin, I can just see yeah. that you're starting to fade out, bro. Like, Thank you for tonight. I was just like, uh, 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 <laughs> yeah. Sorry, man. No, I didn't mean good. to chew your ear
0: off, no, but that's I. Great, I've... Man. Like, what else are we going to do? Sit here and uh, hang out in yeah. chinchilla yeah. Miller's chinchilla.
1: Yeah, the th- the thriller in chinchilla. Nice. All right, mate. I'll talk to you a bit later on. Okay. Okay. Sounds great, Ed. Right, Sleep right. well. Bye. Bye. It's over! It's finished! Like, oh, oh! Like.